You're listening to One-on-One with Kruthi Career Conversations. It's a podcast-enabling, thought-provoking conversation with everyday people working in corporate America. In this episode, we will complete our conversation with Melissa on our second topic of organizational culture. She will provide her insight and perspective as a long-tenured professional and experienced leader in the field. Enjoy! Before we continue, disclaimer to everyone, we are sharing our personal opinions based on our experiences and interpretation of them. We do not represent any company or organization during these conversations. What does organizational culture mean to you? And specifically, are there certain attributes that resonate with you? Organizational culture to me is the environment that, that is um, what you work in. So it's what the company intends. And then it's also what the employees feel. And you hope that those things match. Just as an aside, I don't know that I paid attention to organizational culture early on. Mm-hmm. And I got lucky, you know, with the first couple of, of jobs that I had where the environment was really, really good. But I've been there. I've been in places where it's not good. I don't know that I knew that until a little later, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe just because it wasn't as much of a topic at the time. It just wasn't something that I think most companies really paid attention to. And so I think that's been something that you're getting the benefit of that is that's now that is super important to Mm -hmm. organizations. It's been a key question for me as I've changed companies. I ask questions to, to dig down into that. And to me, the companies that are encouraging transparent communication that have ways of providing ownership to employees or um, engagement that stress diversity and inclusion and, and that there's clear structure to support growth opportunities and um, so forth. Those are things that I look for that I think create a really positive environment. I think to me being a technical person, the product is important to me and the, and the way that information is shared and communicated and what can you learn. And I've been in organizations where there are subject matter experts that hold on to everything and it's impossible to get the details from them without excruciating, painful conversations. And that, I just, that's not, that's not easy or fun. So you, I, I like to, I would prefer to be in an environment where there's fluid communication from all levels and all all parties in the organization. Kind of digging into that last part um, a little bit to your example of subject matter experts mm-hmm. um, and and their behavior in the company. Isn't that a team culture that needs to change, or is it overall company culture that? Needs to change? You, you know, that's fair. So I will use Lexmark as an example because this is where I saw very deliberate places in the organization to encourage technical growth. So I think about our STSMs. They are your most technical elite. They are the ones that should be really thinking the deep stuff and looking for the opportunities to grow our technology and so forth. And sometimes, and this isn't always true with every every group, but I use that group specifically. They're individuals that when they become that knowledgeable and they don't have the maturity to understand while knowledge is power and it's a good thing, 
it, it should be something you want to share and help others grow and learn from. And so I think as a team, as being part of a development team for a particular product, I do think you're, you're making a good point, harboring and holding on to the technology so that you're the only one that truly understands it is a way to try to, I think, control your situation. And that's mm -hmm. not necessarily good. And so I've seen that happen on teams, but I think it can happen in the organization too, where there's just certain groups that their decision-making capabilities or their communication or their knowledge is just more, seems more important than another. Mm -hmm. And that seems tilted or unhealthy to me. I, I think all, all parts of the organization, you need all parts of them. And to think one is more important than the other is just silliness in my opinion. I wanted to hit on a couple of pieces. I wanted to talk about policies. I wanted to talk about the individual employees and their development plans, and then some external factors as well when it comes to organizational culture. Of course, this is just a piece of it. There are a lot more that goes into the entirety of what a company's culture can be. So starting um, on the policy piece of it, there are a myriad of policies that can influence an organization's culture. Some of it we, we are seeing post-pandemic when it comes to the return to office policy, uh, policies. Some we've seen uh, separately from that kind of environment, which are things like diversity and inclusion, which you brought up. So bringing your authentic self to work, what does that look like? Um, office politics, which is maybe more the team dynamic when it comes to organizational culture. Um, so Melissa, I wanna get your thoughts on what you've observed and what experiences you're willing to share when it comes to how policies have influenced the culture, good or bad, it can be either. Most of the time you hope that the policies exist for the benefit of the organization and to provide some structure. And I think without the structure, you get chaos. Being part of a startup right now, I can tell you that now trying to scale the organization and to grow, we really need to be embracing the, um, the policies, the things that exist to help us have structure in the organization, mm -hmm. you know, and the team fights it a little bit because there's so much freedom and flexibility to do things the way they want it. You know, everybody has their own idea mm -hmm. about what works for them. This is why you have policies, because if you just left it to the masses, how do you know, you know, what's fair, what's not fair, what's, and so I think it's just to provide some structure, individual interpretation, everybody interprets things differently, but if the policies exist to help drive some behaviors or call it rules for execution, whether that's, like you said, some of the things that have happened as a result of the pandemic, you know, working remotely versus being in the office versus maybe a hybrid of that, mm -hmm. or you know, things like that. I think that there's, there has to be structure around that. Otherwise you just get chaos. That's my thinking for why that, why it exists and what's, what the benefits are from it. There's plenty of policies too, that, that can be outdated. So I think it's also important for a company to constantly reevaluate and not get stuck because that's the stuff that hurts you too, is when you are living and breathing in policies that can be cramping the organization. I think it's important that, that the organization looks at that every so often to make sure they're still up to date, if you will, or applicable. 
when it comes to maybe bringing your authentic self to work, that looks different for every individual. I think people know what that means, but for each person that the definition of what authentic self is can be mm-hmm. different. You do want teams to a certain extent behave in a certain way. You don't want it to be everything is okay, but you also want the person to have their own style with it. I guess, where is the line with those types of things where the overarching policy is coming from a good place, but the interpretation or what it means to that individual could be slightly different? I think what it boils down to is creating an atmosphere of respect for one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what they're what what most of the policies are trying to do is to create some, like I said, structure or order to things so that you can come and you can be your authentic self or, or bring your authentic self to work. But I think the policies also help to create an environment where, you know, where everyone's encouraged to respect other ideas and thoughts and creativity, even if it's not something you agree with. That's a challenge today in a lot of a lot of other spaces, you know. And so to me, it seems like it's always all about respect for others in the organization. We all have different limits around different topics, different behaviors, and to make it fair for everybody, it, I think it's trying to find that respectful space in being authentic and not discouraging that, encouraging it, but also being careful to make sure that things that are you're doing as you you are your authentic person. Um, you aren't offending or hurting or damaging any other part of the organization. Do you have an example that you can share where the KPIs and the soft skills that were being assessed in a yearly or a six-month cadence or whatever the cadence is match the direction the company wanted to head in? And even the way that they were incentivizing folks to focus on that high-level goal to keep the right culture, motivate employees, just keep the right attitude so that the team and the company could achieve what they intended to for that year. Sure. I believe you will remember this. This is something I thought Alexmark did really, really well, especially when they wanted to change their strategy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they did was they communicated that through the quarterly meetings, all employee meetings mm-hmm. where they shared, you know, these are our goals for the year. This is what we're trying to do. This is how we're trying to shape the organization. And they really spelled it out how it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear that they put it on those fat head stickers and stuck it on the walls all around the, mm-hmm. um, the company, all buildings. I remember this because it made it so much easier to be able to take that information and distill it down even more to how my specific team. And at that time I was working, um, I want to say I was working on the color products. It, it was a lot easier for me to be able to create goals and to help them create development plans with goals and aspirations and targets for their performance and so forth, because the way that the company broke down their goals, um, they were so specific. I just remember that because they broke it down and because they reiterated it over and over and over, it became Mm -hmm. a lot easier to be consistent with my team, tying it back to the overall direction of the company. This is how you fit in. This is what we're doing fits into this, this piece of the of the strategy. It was really, really cool. I don't think I've seen it done as well anywhere else, quite frankly. 
Yeah, I remember those. I guess it was like a flow chart kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it was because they did it like that, like the flow chart. You could see function. And when you can discern activity down to a specific function, it makes it a lot easier to then talk about how the things that your team is doing. And I say this, I'm, I'm coming at it from the engineering part. I think that that's what made it easier for me anyway. As mentioned earlier, you've been a leader in many organizations. How have you created the right environment for your employees to thrive, but then also taking into account the high level values and mission of the company? When I go about creating an environment for my teams, um, I want to be able to count on the organization heading in a good direction, creating that environment that I can just build on mm-hmm. because it's easier. But for me, I am all about transparency and sharing as much as I can. I never want them to feel like they can't ask questions or that they don't have all the information that they need. Mm-hmm. I'm not the type of leader that wants to hold on to things to the point where I'm in, I'm in control and they aren't, I think to be a servant leader, you are helping them to be successful. And when you, when you help your team to be successful in all the things that they're delivering, then you're successful. So to me, that's the environment I like to create. I want them to, to feel open, to communicate, to ask questions, to challenge things. I, I certainly welcome that too. I think to, to assume I have all the answers would just be silly. Um, there's amazing minds on every team I've ever led. There's amazing people, thoughts, ideas, creativity. And I love when all of that is shared and out in the open and people are willing to help each other. That's what I try to create. Plus I want it to be fun too. If you're doing it every day, it should be fun. It should be something you really love and feel passionate about. And if it's, if it is, then it's not work. Right. So that's kind of the way I like to look at it is I want it to be fun for everybody. And sometimes that's hard, you know, cause not everybody ha- defines fun the same way. <laughs> Stepping away from this topic, but based on what you just said, how do you continue to add value in a position as a leader When I very first got into the um, development organization, I will never forget, I was petrified. I had always heard how brilliant these, these folks were. And, you know, it's all these guys that are just, they're subject matter experts. They're phenomenal. They've been doing it for a long time. And I was like, what value am I gonna add? I really worried about that. The value that I usually bring is to be able to, make sense about out of all the ideas to find the path through it all. Because a lot of times what, what engineering organizations or groups or teams are typically doing is solving technical problems, Mm -hmm. but they almost never do that in a timely way, cost-effective way. You know, all the things that the business has to maintain in order to be successful and profitable. Those are the things that I'm usually really good about helping the team narrow things down Um, drilling into where we want to be specific about one technology or another um, or making trade-offs, understanding risk. How do we describe that? How do we manage it? Those are the things that engineering minds, they just want to solve problems. They are not thinking about the business. And that's usually the value that I'm bringing. 
Okay, so looking into the external portion um, and how that can influence culture, uh, I think you personally have seen a variety of companies at different stages of success and growth. How have you seen that influence the culture of the organization or even more specifically the team that you've been on? I can use um, certainly Lexmark as a good example because throughout my almost my whole career, I just had one progressive um, opportunity after the other. And uh, and I think that's because the, the company was growing and it was expanding and it was doing really great things. And so it all felt good. Everything that the company was doing was leading to positive things. And I was reaping the benefits of that, which was great. The culture felt good. It just, it, it just was a good time. It was a good situation. It also changed and it became something that wasn't as positive towards the end of my tenure there. And I think that's because the company was sold and it, in it, the focus and the um, direction changed dramatically. And, um, and that can affect the way people feel about it. If you're a creative mind and you were embracing all the newness and the, the push to try to evolve solutions and try to drive revenue to be at least half of those solutions in terms of, of what they were bringing in for the company. Those are things that I think inspire creative minds or people that thrive in that kind of environment. But when you take some, when you take a company like that and then you distill it back to whatever their legacy was and just mm-hmm. keep building on that and just focus on that and limit your, limit your creativity, I think that can definitely wreck an environment. That's one example I can think of. It's, so it went from good to not so good. When I came into Dover, I left Lexmark and I went to Dover. Engineering organization was really in a ditch. Um, they were so far behind in terms of tools, processes, structure, just things that I guess I took for granted at Lexmark um, as a way of doing business. Those were not things that they embraced at all. And so it was, and it was easy to see that people didn't have the same kind of outlook at things weren't positive. It wasn't, there wasn't even a lot of communication, to be honest with you, the, the, even the executive team wasn't consistently delivering information to the organization. So they understood where the organization was according to the goals established for that year. And I think that made it really tough for them to feel like they had a, had an effect on it. Mm-hmm. And in turn, I think that also made them not connected, you know, some of that positive energy and some of that creativity and things that you like to hopefully have in your organization. It wasn't there. I mean, these were folks that were going through the motions. There wasn't anything new. It was all same old, same old as it had been for 20 years, which was sort of scary. I mean, it sounds like it, it didn't impact the day to day because people were just doing the same thing day over day when you went in now it's your job to fix that Mm -hmm. how did you fix it were you able to fix it yeah I I think I did I was able to influence it not not by myself certainly my Mm -hmm. my boss the man that hired me um, he had a vision for at least the engineering organization and the product management organization and he was very clear about communicating that we worked tirelessly on driving in that direction um, putting tools in place thinking about how the organization 
made the most sense. Like this is where they are today. Where do we want to evolve to? Having a vision is is part of it too. Mm-hmm to start. You got to know where you're heading towards and it doesn't have to be huge or big, but you, you got to have goals. What are you trying to accomplish? Because if you just go in there and you just start changing things for the sake of making change, well, that that's not necessarily going to get you anything. But if you say, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to increase the size of the team so that I can manage the throughput of the day-to-day activities and then have a section of the team work on more strategic uh, product development to the next generation kind of stuff. That's one of the things we did to start creating the energy in the organization is that there's, there's the day-to-day stuff. And then there's this newness, creating new products, creating new processes and tools and things like that. And so to me, that was the first order of business, know where you want to go, know how you're going to do it mm-hmm. and help the team understand that why it's important to grow, uh, get their buy into it have them participate because there were things that we had been talking about as a leadership team that we wanted to do. But I think it's always good to run that by your teams. Those are two big things that we did in order to try to drive the change that we were trying to drive in the organization. Just to wrap up this overall topic. So are there any best practices you can share about scaling culture when there are different motivators for each employee? I'm sure there are. And I think that for me, I, I, I always think, you know, communication, being very clear, being transparent, being inclusive, fair, positive, and trying to help instill those values in the team and in the organization. But like you said, and you made a very good point, um, not everybody's motivated the same way. And as a leader, you've got to figure out how you drive in the direction that you're going to go and have and include everybody, you know, and find a way to value their strengths, value their priorities, value what means something to them, what motivates them. You're never going to please everybody. So I'll just say that it's not going to happen. There are going to be those that you're dragging along with you mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. You, sh- you know, you're, it's always going to happen. So don't, I would say, don't stress over that. Just know that that's going to happen. And sometimes it's it's a matter of changing the organization. That that means changing who's there. I think the best thing you can do is communicate. I just I can't even say that enough. You know, the transparency, the communication, to me, that's the stuff that gets you people buying into what you're selling, even if it's not something that they particularly value, but I think they respect communication. Just to wrap up this whole session, which as usual was very informative um, and left me feeling happy that we discussed this, but any piece of general advice or a big picture question you want to leave folks with? I realize it's hard, but I would hope as you find out what your fit in the organization is, talk about that with your mentors, talk about that with your managers. I just encourage the networking, knowing your, knowing your organization, knowing your, your peers. I, I would encourage that, but I would also encourage knowing where you fit in, knowing what makes you happy and, and being okay with that. And, and sometimes that's hard, but that's why you should lean on mentors. That's why you should reach out to your manager to talk about that, to make sure you, you understand. Cause I think you'll, you'll feel valued or you will feel, figure out whether you are feeling valued. 
I love that advice. Um, I feel like you've given me that advice and I've taken it to heart. So <laughs> I appreciate that. You've made it to the end of episode seven and the entirety of our conversation with Melissa. I want to thank Melissa for spending the time and sharing her expertise and experiences with all of us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, remember, stay curious and be good.